0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam Rowe. I'm the pastor of student ministries for our Wilmington campus of which is actually kind of where I'm coming to you from today. And I'm really grateful to be here with you. I've been in student ministry almost 16 years now, and it occurred to me as I was writing this that that means in just a couple years, I will be graduating students who weren't even born yet when I started. And that is a bit of a sobering thought to me. So it's got me thinking, if you if you've ever graduated from something, or if you've had someone that's graduated, like, there's a potential that someone might have given you a particular book. I know it was given to me when I graduated. Somebody actually gave us another copy when my kids were born. Uh, but it's, it's a well re, well, kind of well-respected, well-renowned, and well-selling book. And it starts just this way. It says, congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. I'm curious if you know what it is. I'm going to give you just about five, ten seconds at home to shout it out, and then I'll be right back with you. So if somebody in your home shouted out Dr. Seuss, you can give him a high five, you can give him ten points. I I don't don't know that we normally give out points during sermons, but you got ten points this week. Dr. Seuss wrote Oh, the Places You'll Go in 1990, and it has gone on to be his best-selling book. In 2018 alone, it sold 800,000 copies and it has sold 12.5 million copies to date, being by far his best-selling book And, and a book that generations of kids since 1990 have received as they graduated or as different special events have occurred in their life. I was eight at the time, and I think somebody must have given us a copy because I, just ha- I have this memory of reading it and loving it and loving the pictures. And 30 years later, just a week ago, I found myself reading it to my son, the copy that was given when he was born, and I read him these words, which I love. I said, you've got brains in your head, and you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where to go. It's intoxicating stuff, isn't it? It, it? It's so hopeful, it's so encouraging, it's so bright and cheerful. It's so confident of success. The kid in this book that, that he's writing to, honestly, at this stage is a lot like a young Joseph, the, the man whose life we're looking at this whole summer. And he's a lot like a lot of us when we're young, so hopeful and bright and sure of our future. But I think what what makes the book, better than most. What what makes the book really connect with us is actually the honesty to it, The, the, the connection with failure and difficulty that Dr. Seuss includes. For a children's book, it's actually profoundly realistic. And I think that's why it has connected with so many. In one of my favorite passages early on, the kid is told this. He's told, you'll be on your way You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to great heights. You won't lag behind. You'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang, and soon you'll take the lead. Whenever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top the rest, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I love that line. That line sticks with me, and I think it's this honesty, which is why this book connects so well. Because we see our own story in it. We, we see our own life's you know up and down roller coaster trajectory as we read through, oh, the places you'll go. And we recognize that our life is not all success. I actually, at this moment, as I was reading it a week ago, I stopped, I looked up at my wife, and I said, you could preach this book. And, and here I am. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. Because we all... You know, we all have times of promise and success in our lives. We all have moments where we think to ourselves, I'm flying with the high flyers. I'm like, I'm the best of the best. And then we have times when we don't, because sometimes we won't. And right now, I think in this time frame in the world, in this season that we're living through, there's a lot of don't and won't in our lives and our culture isn't there. And so this book connects with us, but I think it's also the reason that the life uh, story of Joseph connects with us, because Joseph's life has the same up and down roller coaster trajectory, and like all oh, the places you go, the life of Joseph is profoundly realistic. And so that's why we're looking at it all summer long. So if you've missed out on the last couple of weeks, let me catch you up real quick on who Joseph is. Joseph is the second youngest son in a family of twelve in a society that highly values. Birth order. So this this is a culture in which you wanted to keep the family's wealth within the family. So you would give the vast majority of it to the firstborn, so it wouldn't be broken up into a whole bunch of little chunks. But it also meant that the firstborn got the highest share of the respect. There was something about being the firstborn that was incredible, and there was something about being the secondborn that was a little less. And by the time you get down to 11 out of 12, like he should have been almost the baby of the baby in the family. And yet, Joseph ends up being the overt favorite son of the overt favorite wife in a family with two wives, two concubines, and 12 children. Now think about that for a second. Think about the complexity in that family. Think about the, oh man, just the the, the division and the infighting and the dysfunction that would come out of a family system like this. And then you have in this culture where Joseph is supposed to be kind of lesser than, you have Joseph as the overt favorite. You have have this kid who is being lifted up above others who he should not be lifted up against. And on top of that, Joseph is actually having these dreams. And in these dreams, the rest of his family is bowing down to him, and he's telling his brothers about it. Brothers who are not happy with this. So, So you have this second youngest in this family with a significant amount of dysfunction who's getting preferential treatment and is boasting about it. Now, I I don't know about your family, but I can tell you in mine growing up, and mine was light years healthier than this one, if my youngest brother had been getting this kind of preferential treatment, it probably would have led to blows. And Jordan and I, were like we're best friends today. He's probably the person outside of my immediate family that I talk to the most. But when we were younger, if we'd been treated this way, it probably would not have gone that well for us. And in Joseph's family, This leads to more than just a simple wrestling match between frustrated siblings. His brothers actually take him when the father's not around, strip him of the cloak, throw him into a pit, and then sell him to slave traders. He goes from favorite son to forgotten slave. He goes from flying with the high flyers to literally being in a pit. And as I read this, I find myself thinking that Joseph's story is really mirroring all the places you'll go so well, and it mirrors our own experience so well. And then... Well, then he runs into an even more particularly complex and difficult situation. Something that many of us have faced in our lives, or you might be facing right now, something that you probably will face in the future, he runs into a scenario where he's not sure what he should do or how he should do it or what it means for him. So let's, let's read on in the story together in Genesis chapter 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer, Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Oh man, like, what a life these guys are living, right? Potiphar is, Potiphar is living it up. He's doing anything he wants. The only thing he's worrying about is what he eats because he knows he has Joseph there for him. And Joseph, I mean, Joseph is climbing the social ladder. He's proving himself. He's finding favor with everyone around him. It's it's an incredibly inspiring story, but it's not the end. A significant speed bump approaches, and this is what it says. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Now Joseph well he finds himself in a tricky situation here. Now think about it from his perspective for a second. He he's a young man, he's far from home, he's far from any support system, far from his family and he's finally finding just a little bit of success and stability and safety. And he has this decision to make. Does he respect Potiphar or does he go with his wife's offer? Think about the complications for him here because If he says no to this, he could lose everything he has. He is a foreign slave living in a land where he has no voice, where he has no power, where he has no rights. And this woman has all three of them. Uh, And honestly, the offer is probably truly a little bit enticing. Let's remind ourselves that, that Joseph is a young man, late teens, maybe early 20s, with all the hormones that brings to it. And so this offer, this offer to him is actually, it's a little bit enticing, and it's also kind of ego-boosting. You have this older, wealthy, influential woman who's telling him that he is desirable. And if he says yes, I mean, who would even know? Like she's not going to tell anyone, right? What's, what's the harm? it? And doesn't Joseph deserve something good finally? Isn't it about time for his luck to finally change? So Joseph's got a decision to make. And as the great theologian D.R. Seuss would say, he would probably say to Joseph this. He would say, Joseph, you'll come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're dark. A place you could sprain both elbow and chin. Do you dare to stay out? Do you dare to go in? How much could you lose and how much could you win? And if you should go in, Joseph, should you turn left or right, or right and three quarters, or maybe not quite, or go around back and sneak in from behind? Simple, it's not. I'm afraid you will find for a mind-maker upper to make up his mind. And so Joseph, alone and far from family, far from support, he has to make up his mind. And, and I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've got to make up your mind about right now in this season. But I bet for a lot of us we have similarly difficult and complex situations. It's possible for some of you you are considering a potential affair. There's something in front of you that has caught your attention, there's there's something that is drawing you this way or that way some sort of sexual sin, but it's it's also possible for many of us that there's there's a number of things that have our attention a number of tricky and difficult and morally complex situations, a a number of things where you're asking yourself, if I say no to this, how much could I lose? If I say yes, how much could I win? And who would even know? And the season we're living in, the season of just complete uncertainty is not making it any better. So we will get in just a few minutes to what Joseph decides. But what I want to do is I want to give you three truths for a mind maker upper to make up their mind about temptation. So the first one is just simply this. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Temptation always comes to us with this promise, right? It it offers thrills, excitement, satisfaction, success. It says to us, look at all I have to offer you. This could all be yours. Joseph, he could have had it all, right? There there was no complexity in the offer. She was basically throwing herself at him. And I think many people really would have said to him, you know, what's, what's the big deal? Right? She's, she's one of many wives. She's clearly unhappy. She wants this. I mean, nobody would even know. Joe Crow would have said, if it makes you happy, could it really be that bad, Joseph? And so what we do as we look at these situations is we begin to actually question what is really true and good. We, we adopt this mindset that following God means giving up all of the good things in life. And for Joseph here, actually giving in probably would have led to pleasure and a continuation of all of his success, his security, and favor, would it not? Well, here's the thing. There's no such thing as free lunch. Every decision we make in life comes with sacrifice and compromise. So the real question for you this morning, the real question for Joseph in this moment is what are you willing to pay for the thing that has captured your attention? If Joseph Joseph makes this decision and he moves forward, he would have had it all, right? But what would he be giving up? I actually think the key verse in all of this, if you look above again, is verse 2. And it just simply says this. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. To live a life with God as a follower of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit is to be able to access this deep well, this deep satisfying relationship. There's a peace, a deep internal peace with yourself, with the world, and with God. And and Jesus himself, he he put it pretty simply, and his friend John recorded it. He said this, Jesus said, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, But I have come to bring you a rich and a satisfying life. Jesus puts it simply. He says, I've come to bring you a rich and abundant, satisfying life. He did not say, I'm here to bring you riches. He said, I'm here to bring you a rich life. And so Joseph has this decision to make. I mean, his situation right now is bad enough as it is, but at least he knew that all was well with him and God. At least he had peace in his heart. And the thing is, if he makes this decision, if he gives up or gives in all of that peace, all of that security, it just shrivels up and dies, replaced with paranoia and uncertainty and fear. And we all, we all know what paranoia and emptiness and uncertainty and fear, we all know that sense. Even, even kids know what that feels like. I, I remember when I was in fourth grade, I actually jump kicked Jessica St. Romaine in the knee. Now, Jessica, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know I said it back then, but I, I am still today sorry. We were all pretending to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I got a little over exuberant, and I ended up jump kicking her in the knee. And I still remember she fell down, she cried so hard. They took her into the nurse, and I didn't see her for the rest of the day. She was not in our class, she was nowhere to be found, and I spent the whole day in abject terror and paranoia. I still remember that night laying in my bunk bed and thinking every time the phone rang that it was my principal calling to tell my parents, and I I couldn't sleep until they went to bed. I went from peace to paranoia in one stupid decision. And we all, we all know what this feels like. You, you know what this feels like. You've all made a decision like that where, where, where you go from peace to paranoia and fear in one unwise decision. We've all watched countless other people do that. And so we all know that every decision we make involves sacrifice and compromise. And the question for us is what are we willing to pay for that thing that has captured our attention? And what about Joseph's future? Uh, If you know the rest of the story, or if you want to go and read it later, you'll find out that that he ends up saving uncountable lives later on. And what would have happened if he had disqualified himself for service? What toll of human suffering if he disqualified himself in this moment? I, I honestly don't know what would have happened. Because here's our second truth for a mind maker upper to make up their mind. And it's just simply this there is no such thing as a secret. Potiphar's wife probably said something to him like this, Joseph, no one will ever know. How many times have we heard a statement like that? How many times have we said statements like that, or at least thought it? If the first promise of temptation is there's no cost, the second promise is no one will ever find out. Here's the problem with that, though. I know what decisions I have made. You know what decisions you've made, and God knows what decisions you've made. Now, if if you're not a Jesus follower, this second point might not be that big of a deal to you, but you and I both know that we can't escape ourselves. Gordon MacDonald is a former pastor that uh, used to be here at Grace Chapel, and, and he wrote a book, and in that book, he describes people living this way as secret carriers, and he describes them as the most miserable condition to live in because what you find yourself in is you find yourself living between two extremes. On one side, you have this terrible fear that anyone will ever figure out what you're carrying, and on the other side, you have this desperate desire that someone would please find out so that you can drop it and live a free life again. We've all experienced that. And it's not, well, honestly, it's not a great way to live. It's a miserable way to live. Some of us even now have bought into the lie that we can give in to whatever temptation is in front of us at no cost, except for peace, security, relationships, and just the beauty of a relationship lived with God for those of us who follow Jesus. The writer of the book of Proverbs put it this way, and I love it. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? You see, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Every decision we make involves sacrifice and compromise, and there's no such thing as a secret. How many people just in the last year have we watched their whole lives fall apart as their secrets have come out? And so with these two truths in mind, let's see what Joseph does, and then we'll get to the third. The writer says it simply, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one has more authority than I do. He's held nothing back for me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Joseph looks at it. He looks at what is being offered him. He counts the cost and he makes a decision. The end, right? Happily ever after. Not quite. The writer goes on to say this, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak, and she said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran outside. When she saw he had left the cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to the household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave, she said to Potiphar, that Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. Potiphar's wife is angry. After repeated rejections, she in turn takes her position and her power, and she uses it against Joseph. And in doing so, she actually puts her husband in a difficult spot of his own. And this is what he does. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there Joseph remained. This is a fascinating story, isn't it? Because I'm going to tell you, if I was writing this story, well, it would have turned out a little different. The wise decision of Joseph would have led to more reward and favor. Somebody would have overheard there had been like maybe a servant in the other room, and they would have told Potiphar, and Potiphar would have rewarded Joseph for his loyalty. The, the wife would have repented and asked for forgiveness and found newfound marital bliss in her relationship, and, and lessons, lessons just would have been learned all the way around. It would have been a beautiful story. But as Dr. Seuss reminds us and as our own experience in life teaches us, that is not often the way that life really goes, is it? And it's not the way it went for Joseph. Now, there are definitely some cultural parallels to our current cultural moment in this story, aren't there? There are some clear allusions to the Me Too movement although in this story it's a little different because in this story it's the woman who's making the advances and she's the one who's believed, but it's because she is in a position of power in this moment. And often today it's men who are in a position of power and it's them who are making the advances and because of that power they are the ones who are believed. So as you read this story, if you feel outrage at the absolute injustice of Joseph's situation, that is the same outrage that so many women in our culture are feeling and asking us to feel for them crying out for a society to name. They're calling for us to believe them, to believe that they've been wronged and that they've been taken advantage of. There are also clear allusions to the racial reconciliation conversation happening. Power and control always have the temptation for overwhelming the marginalized and the oppressed. Think about it. Joseph wasn't even allowed to tell his side of the story. He was the wrong ethnicity in a majority culture here. These parallels as we read this story should cause us to think long and hard about what the writers of Scripture would say to our current cultural brokenness. What we need to do in this moment is we need to practice Scripture through reading it through other people's eyes. So many of us tend to read Scripture, we tend to read anything through our own perspective. So I have a tendency to read this story as a white male, as if Joseph was a white male and not a Middle Eastern slave. I need to read this story through Joseph's eyes. I need to feel his pain. As I'm being called to listen to marginalized voices in our own culture, this is one of the ways I can start. I can listen to Joseph's story. I can allow it to inform me. I can allow his injustice to seep into me and I can respond to it. I think a lot of us who are coming from a different perspective probably read this story and see it very differently. So here's what I'm going to encourage. If you want to try to practice reading this story from someone else's eyes, spend the next week, spend the whole summer reading this story and constantly trying to put yourself in Joseph's place. Practice seeing it through someone else's eyes and experiencing the world that way. Because Joseph, like so many others on the wrong side of power throughout history, even after doing the right thing ends up again in the pit. Which leads us to our third and I think most important truth about temptation. And that's this. There is no such thing as unnoticed obedience. We often... Well, we make the mistake of believing that if we follow God, it will lead to outward blessing. And then when our outward situation starts to fall apart, we rail against God. In this story, the more you read this, the more you meditate on it, the more you make it your own, it should correct that lie in your heart and my heart. Joseph made a decision to forego immediate pleasure, security, and personal gain. He made a decision to honor Potiphar and honor God, and it landed him in prison. But you know what? Do you know what's awesome? Because God was with him even there. Let's read together. It says, The Lord was with Joseph in prison. Do you hear the the, the callback to before? The Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Again, we see the story kind of repeating itself. But before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Joseph had to make a decision in this moment in his life. He had short-term gain on the one side and he had long-term obedience on the other side. And what Joseph did is he made a decision based on defining his well-being on his proximity to God, a decision based on internals rather than externals. And it was a decision that served him well far past this moment. Because his story is not done. It doesn't end in prison. It doesn't end at this moment. His story and his life continues on just the way ours do. There are more highs and lows. There are more complicated decisions to be made. There are more temptations to come. And his future success in all of these decisions is being made right now, step by step, decision by decision, in exactly what he is doing in this moment. And we all have more decisions like this to make. Uh, we, We might not have temptations that are as overtly scandalous. But we all have to deal with pride, lust, greed, envy. We all have to decide how we're going to uh, handle any sort of temptation like this in the future. Maybe never quite like Joseph, but can you handle in this next season not hating your political opposite? Can you handle the temptation of not taking credit where it's not due? Can you handle the temptation of not underplaying your failure and overplaying your success? Can you handle the temptation of not driving by that house down the road and wishing that it was yours? There's a myriad of temptations coming our way. And like Joseph, we build towards our strength and our success in those right now. You see, God had been with Joseph in this moment in his life, but he'd also been with him in every moment leading up to this. He'd been building with Joseph in his previous decisions, in his character formation, and in his growth. So we might wonder, would I stand up? In a situation like this, would I stand up to this temptation? Well, we can work towards standing in that temptation right now in every small decision we make as God builds our character with us because God is with us in temptation as well. Lastly, one thing to say on this. I think God was with him in his suffering for doing right, but let's not forget that God would have been there with him in his failure if he'd screwed up. I mean, Joseph wasn't perfect. you remember the beginning of the story? There's all sorts of places where Joseph screws up. I fail all the time. I don't, I don't know about you. I'm sure you fail, we fail. We... God, is, God is there with us in all of it. But it shouldn't be our goal. It shouldn't be what we want. But God is there with us in success and failure. So the question, I think, to close this with is, how do we stand up in the face of temptation? Especially when that temptation is saying to us in that little voice, you know, it's yours for the taking. No one will know, especially when so much rides on it, when there's so much that you could lose if you say no to this thing. I think it starts by us remembering these three truths for a mind maker upper making up their mind. Number one, there's no such thing as free lunch. Number two, there's no such thing as secrets. And number three, there's no such thing as unnoticed obedience. The right decision does not always lead to outward blessing. In fact, sometimes it blows up in our face, but what it does lead to is peace, security, relationships, and freedom in our hearts and minds with other people. And God is always with us in those moments. So hear the words of Jesus this morning to you. Jesus says to you, I have come to bring you a rich and a satisfying life, a life based on proximity to me, a life based on abundant internal realities. So... Be your name Boxbum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Alley van Allen O'Shea, you're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. Friends, God is with us in temptation. God is with us in this moment. God is with you, my friends, in whatever it is that you are facing. So let us face it together as a community and let let us face it with God at our side. Amen.